Good morning. It's January 1st, 2024, and it's the first day of our new year. And as we start the new year, I notice as a retired person, I get an increase of 3.2% in my Social Security check. This gets me to thinking about the program. What will happen in the future, and did we spend the money on Social Security and other things? Now, we've all read stories that tell us the trust fund for Social Security is running out of money, and by sometime around 2033, we would have to reduce benefits or find another means of funding the program. This always brings up the debate about the program in general, and would you have been better off investing the money yourself as opposed to allowing the government to have the money? It's an interesting debate, and the answer will differ depending upon who you are and who you're talking about. For someone who is savvy about the market, they may have done better by themselves, but for the majority of people, I doubt they could have picked the right investments. Too many would try for the home run, only to find they picked wrong and their funds are gone. Then we have the people who will tell you that Congress has raided the Social Security funds and spent them on other things, leaving those of us retired or about to retire in dire straits. Well, every year, the trustees who govern the Social Security operations issue a trustees report. Including in that report is a cash flow statement going back to the inception of the program in 1937. It details the taxes paid into the plan as interest earned from the excess funds held by the system and then subtracts the administrative costs and benefits paid. In 69 of the 86 years since Social Security was created, the system has enjoyed a positive cash flow. This has resulted in the system building up a cushion over the years, which currently totals to about $2.7 trillion. So where is that money? The answer is that it's interest invested in U.S. bonds. Those bonds earn interest, which helped defray the cost of the program. In the 17 years that it ran a negative cash flow, it cashed bonds to make up the difference. However, some have raised a fair question as to whether investing all of Social Security reserves in U.S. bonds is the best investment strategy. The interest rate paid on the bonds determined by formally adopted by Congress in 1960. It used a rolling average of the rate of all U.S. bonds with maturities longer than four years. My rough calculations indicate this resulted in about a 5.2 average yield since 1960. Currently, the rate is much lower because interest rates have been so low for the last decade, particularly the past couple of years, and notwithstanding the increase in rates over the last year. According to the Social Security Administration data, the average return for 2022 was 2.35%. In contrast, the S&P 500 index has returned 10.15% since 1960. If the reserves have been invested in the S&P 500 during that time, the reserve balance today would be something like $30 trillion, and we would not be facing any shortfalls for decades. Of course, investing the reserve funds in stocks or other alternative investments would be hugely controversial and involve significant risk to the fund. Nonetheless, it would appear that a more diversified investment strategy relieve some of the pressure on the system. That's not a novel concept because George W. Bush proposed it in 2005. And it was hardly a new idea then. The politics, though, are tougher than just crunching the numbers. But all this ignores the real basic problem facing Social Security. When the program was created in the 1930s to provide a basic subsistence for retirees, there were 150 workers for every retiree. In 1940, that was down to 42 workers per retiree. Today, that number is down to three workers per retiree, and some experts say it will be down to two to one by 2050. And one of the basic reasons for this problem is science and health. Strictly speaking, we live a lot longer, and therefore we're drawing benefits for longer. In 1950, the average age of death was 67. Today is just under 80 years. And that's a 13-year difference, 
and those are years that people will be collecting benefits. If we're really interested in saving this vital retirement program, we need to consider some reforms. Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia, and Mitt Romney, a Republican from Utah, have introduced a bipartisan fiscal stability act. A similar bill was introduced in the House by Congressman Bill Hazinga, a Republican, and Scott Peters, a Democrat. The legislation would create a bicameral fiscal commission tasked with finding the legislative solutions to stabilize and decrease the national debt, which now exceeds $33.6 trillion, more than double what it was 10 years ago. They would also look at all of the entitlement programs. So that includes Social Security. So I have some suggestions on my own. Right now, you can start collecting Social Security benefits at age 62. And if you wait until age 70, you will get your maximum benefit. It's about an 8% increase each year. And I would recommend changing those ages to 65 and 72, recognizing that we live and work longer. Of course, Democrats would scream that we're making people work longer. But the facts remain that people are already doing so by choice. Very few retire before the age of 65, and those that do not are normally—they're normally pretty well off, so they're not relying on Social Security to live. And once you agree to change the ages, you'd have to make one other change. In 2024, you pay FICA—that's the fund for both Social Security and Medicare—on the first $168,600 of earned income. That amount is calculated at 6.2% for Social Security and 1.45% for Medicare. Well, I would change that to, to the first 250,000 and keep it indexed for the future. And I would do that immediately as soon as you change the ages. Now, Republicans are gonna call that a tax increase and they'd be right, but only for the people exceeding the $168,000 threshold. And that's certainly not the majority. We already have a surtax for Medicare of an additional 0.9% on all wages in excess of 200,000 or 250,000 for joint Filers. Those two changes, which would require congressional approval, meaning a compromise, would be a good start to creating solvency in the program. More funds in, less funds out. Now, there are other changes that could be made, but this is just a modest suggestion by myself. This has been To My Liberal Friends. Thanks for listening and have a happy new year.